Hi, this is Ryan Estrellado, and I'm one of the hosts of the ED&D podcast. We've got a special episode for you today for a couple of reasons. First, it's a big milestone for the show. We are hitting episode 10, but it's special for another reason. On this episode, we get to introduce our new teammate, Dr. Aaron Mahoney. Aaron's going to be leading the charge on services and products that help our community promote equity through good academic instructional practices. So we're excited to see what she does there. And my favorite part of the episode is when Aaron tells us what she learned about helping staff feel connected to their work. I'm going to let her tell her story, but here's a hint. She learned it from watching her students. To learn more about the Equity, Disproportionality, and Design Project, visit our website, equityanddesign.com. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And now here's our interview with Dr. Aaron Mahoney. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ryan Estrellado, and I am one of the co-hosts of the ED&D podcast. I have here with me today my teammate, Marcus Jackson. Marcus, how are you? Doing well, Ryan. How you doing? Doing fine. Thank you. Olivia Rivera is out today, but we do have with us today a very, very special guest, our newest member of the ED&D team, executive consultant, Dr. Aaron Mahoney. Aaron was an educator for 14 years before starting with us, and she started as a special education teacher, teaching students with moderate, severe disabilities, and then she moved into instructional coaching, and then after that, into administration. We're going to talk a little bit later about uh, her dissertation on social-emotional learning, and she is passionate about ensuring every child is seen for their own strengths and areas of need and provided the opportunities to pursue their interests. Erin, thank you for being with us here today. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Good. This is like your third week on the job? It is. It is. It's a little... Still new, still learning, but loving it. Well, we've been really enjoying having you here. This is your second podcast with us. You were hanging out on the first one with uh, Dr. Joe Johnson and uh, Dr. Rupi Boyd. Uh, But we didn't hear from you that day because I think that was like your second week or something like that. I think it was like my second day. Your second? Oh, was it? Uh, Yes. Gosh, (laughs) okay. Yeah, we really really just kind of threw you in there. Okay. Well, uh, in a minute or in a few minutes, we're going to get into a couple of things, a uh, video that you shared with us um, that I want to talk about, um, your dissertation on social-emotional learning, what you are passionate about in education, but I want to start at the very beginning, how you got to where you are today. Uh, This is a standard question that we have for all of our guests, and what we found is that uh, people's journeys to wherever they are in education, um, are varied. They're not all the same and they they come with their fair share of surprises. So maybe you can start us with that. How did you get into education to begin with? Sure. I am, well, I'm the product of two educators. So I think it was a little bit of a, of a given. Um, however, you know, I think my parents definitely encouraged me to think outside of education as well, but, um, I became a teacher during a time when becoming a teacher and finding a job was few and far between. There weren't a lot of opportunities out there. We were in um, declining enrollment. We were, teachers were getting pink slips every year. And so I knew I loved working with kids with disabilities and specifically was interested in supporting kids with autism. And so that's kind of how I ended up in special education and uh, loved it taught for five years, students with moderate to severe disabilities, and 
really felt like there was something missing in the leadership world. I knew I wanted to impact as many students as possible as I kind of grew as an educator and felt like leaders, there weren't a lot of leaders out there with that experience in special, special education. And so um, I decided that that would be something that I wanted to pursue. And so I went, uh, went ahead, got that administrative credential, did a little bit of instructional coaching, not for very long, and ended up in a leadership position here in Southern San Diego in Chula Vista, where I was prior to coming here for seven, eight years, I believe, and loved it. I, I miss the kids very, very much, but I'm excited to be here where I feel like I'll continue to get to do that goal of just impacting and um, providing support for as many students as possible out there. So say more about like the, uh, the coaching, is that a typical step in between like going from the classroom into leadership? Yeah, I think it definitely can be. I think it's a natural step because it allows you to get outside of that controlled environment in your own classroom. And you get to see a little bit of the bigger picture at a school site. So you get to see more of those systems and structures that are in place um, that you sometimes aren't as aware of when you're in your own little domain of the classroom. You get a little bit of that big picture. And then it, it allows you to understand how school-wide implementation of structures or curriculum or um, new programs kind of take place, which I think is important as you go into those leadership roles. It's, you can definitely do it, right? Going from the classroom into a administrative role. But, um, I thought it really helped me get, get that big picture understanding before I moved in as an AP and principal eventually. Aaron, um, it's great that you made that, that jump from a special educator to an administrator. What was it like going through that whole process? Um, it's interesting because my original credential was in was in general education. And so I did have some of that background, but I think oftentimes um, special education is something that while people know and are aware of it on their campuses, we're all a little bit unsure at times, I guess might be the word, and tiptoe around um, kind of what we're supposed to do, right? If you're not comfortable with it, like how you're supposed to really support it. And so I think going from special education, from that um, environment where you're thinking about every student's individual needs all the time into that administrative role, it gave me and has allowed me to have that lens and to continue to have that lens of seeing past just always that big picture or it really has allowed me to continue to focus on what individual things are happening on my campus, um, how to support individual teacher needs or those specific needs in classrooms that I think not all administrators, not that they wouldn't love to or, or want to have, but that they just don't have that experience with, right? Especially with things like behavior yeah. um, and behavioral supports and even just differentiated instruction, right? Like down to how to make curriculum accessible to students with such a variety of different needs. Do you think it's uh, in the future of education, do you think it's possible to learn about that level of individualization uh, and how that ties in with leadership without the experience of, of special ed? I'm guessing, and I'm just going to say, I'm guessing the answer to that question is yes, but I'm just struck by by the question of like, 
not everybody is going to have a special education background, and yet I think most of us would agree that wanting to give the same amount of attention to the individualization of instruction for students is a thing that we all care about. So, like, how do we think about a, a future where that message is out there a little bit more without requiring that it's like you're in the trenches of special education, kind of learning the, uh, the details of how that's done. I think you're exactly right, Ryan, in that every educator would want that to happen, right? Every educator truly, I have to believe, wakes up every single day wanting every individual child at their school to be successful, right? And we all want to do what we can. And um, to support that and to make sure that that happens. And I think, so yes, it is definitely possible. Um, and I think it just comes with thinking about how we are designing instruction differently, right? So, um, and supporting educators in, in that process, um, creating the circumstances and the situations where they are thinking through planning for lessons or planning for implementing new instructional practices at their school site in a different way and diving down into data, right? I mean, that's where it starts is what is the story of even just a handful of individual students on your campus um, or in your classroom and getting to know kids there. And I think you don't have to have a special ed background to know what individual needs kiddos have. Um, I think it just is time, which I know is something we all have only so much of, but just a few opportunities or a few minutes, even a day, getting to know just one student a little bit, a little bit more can open your eyes and how you can support them academically and even emotionally um, in just an incredible way. So I think that's where we can start you know, as a, either as a leader or as a teacher in a classroom or um, as another support staff is getting beyond whatever test scores are showing you and getting to really know a child um, for who they are and who they want to be even. I'm uh, remembering a couple of days ago, you were uh, unpacking stuff out of boxes uh, and I was bugging you in in, in your office. And one of the things that you had in uh, the boxes was a book uh, on applied behavior analysis. And uh, and the book looked really old. (laughs) And we were both just looking at that and saying, you know what, I bet that book still holds up uh, just because applied behavior analysis does hold up. I mean, it's just one of these things that, uh, you know, we, we keep on using for, for a good reason. Uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with applied behavior analysis, or as we call it, ABA, can you talk a little bit about what that is and also what some of the big picture lessons are that you got out of your experience with ABA? Absolutely. I think the big picture of, of ABA is just understanding that, for me anyway, this is something that I really learned about ABA is behavior is communication and really getting down to what it is that a behavior in a child or a group or at a school, whatever the case may be, what it's telling us and um, understanding how to shape the behavior if the behavior needs to be shaped um, and yeah, working through that. And so I used ABA and have experience in ABA just from in my in my own special ed classroom and did some in-home behavioral therapy for a while as well, because I thought I wanted to go and get my BCBA and become a board certified behavior um, analyst and quickly moved on from that for quite a few reasons, one of which 
there just weren't any programs down here in San Diego. Um, but you know, I think that it's interesting that you bring up ABA and how we can think about it beyond just um, for students with more severe disabilities or severe behavioral needs, because really when you think about behavior, um, like you said, it's kind of universal, right? So you can use a lot of those principles across a school site, whether it's how you're teaching the behavior, um, understanding just even as a school, how students are behaving in different contexts, what, what are those conditions that have set up for it, right? Like what are those antecedents? Like kids are going to respond. And if you start to think about it in that way, you can really think through instead of thinking of behavior as that it's like personal against you, that the behavior is just a, a response to those conditions that, that have been set forth um, and how we can support kids to um, either you know, change that behavior so that it's safer or um, more maybe socially appropriate, whatever we need it to be, um, so that they can be successful in that that school setting. There's a lot more um, BCBAs that are out there right now, particularly in our schools, and this is a perfect environment because as schools are looking at their um, functional behavior assessments, uh, they're looking toward people who have the experience or, uh, utilizing um, and analyzing the behaviors uh, more closely. So in our particular cell, but we have just four members that are, have BCAs uh, from our captain team uh, alone. And, and they utilize those skills when they do their trainings as well. And they visit their, their, uh, their school sites and, and work with their teams there. Yeah. It's great to have that, those skills and those strengths around, man. I learn from them all the time still. Okay, Aaron. So you started out at as a special education teacher, you went into coaching and then into administration. And then shortly thereafter, you started a uh, program at, I believe, San Diego State to earn, uh, to start a program there and earn your doctorate in educational leadership. Um, your dissertation was in social emotional learning. Uh, and Actually, just earlier today, you had sent me a video by Sir Ken Robinson. That you sent me two, one from 2006, which I think I read somewhere was, at least at the time, this may still be true, was the most viewed TED Talk. Um, so very, very popular TED Talk, and, and then one that that uh, that he had um, recorded just a few years ago. Um, and that first one in particular was striking to me because it was, uh, generally speaking, was about trying to find ways to honor and nurture creativity in, uh, in education in a way that Sir Ken Robinson believed was not happening as much as it should be. Um, but what this has to do with our conversation is that was a video that inspired your uh, writing in your dissertation. And so I want to know, what is it about uh, the TED Talk and how, and how did that translate into the, uh, the work in your dissertation? There's something about him. And the way that he tells a story and the way that he is able to connect with an audience and speak truths that I think everybody is kind of thinking and afraid to say at the same time. Um, and it really goes back to those systems, right, that we have in place and that are an unfortunate, I think, in the second video really talks about the educational systems in America in general, right? And so his work... I remember getting to see him right before I actually became an AP. I saw him and in person here in San Diego speak. And he 
I think just really is striking to me in the sense that we put kids into this box in education and we expect them to be able to be successful and to produce and to come out ready to go into careers um, by all doing the same thing and learning the same way. And that really just isn't the reality of how people do become successful, right? And so he talks a little bit as well about every child is so different and um, we can't expect kids who are so different to all be able to adapt and to learn in the same way and to grow in the same way. And I think when we put kids into this box of this American educational system that we really do do what he says and we kill creativity in kids. Um, They lose sight of what those original passions were. They are afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to raise their hand even, you know, by fifth and sixth grade. And um, when I started thinking about what I wanted my dissertation to be on, it really was about just this deficit model that we have created in our educational system where we're focused on what isn't working and what we aren't doing. And we're looking at how poorly test scores are um, and how we need to make changes. And instead of really looking at what is going well, how we can grow on that and and really, I guess, focus on the positive aspects in students in what's going on in our schools. And um, our system was is largely has operated on this deficit thinking model, which is really the problem that I saw that kind of drove my thinking in my dissertation and focusing on how students aren't achieving. And I truly found when I became and got into my first principal job that that's what teachers were afraid of too. They were afraid of being seen as what wasn't happening, right? They were afraid of being compared to each other for how poorly their students were doing. They were afraid that the only thing an administrator would see was what wasn't happening. And I really had to work hard in that first school on shifting that mindset that I'm not, I'm not trying to catch you doing something wrong. Like you're doing so many incredible things. Like we need to stop thinking about what what kids can't do and start talking about what they can do and how we're going to continue to grow that so that they can get to where they need to be. And so kind of where I guess Sir Ken Robinson ties in there is that was the foundation of my dissertation. And I really wanted to look at how we could get back to um, seeing kids for their strengths giving them opportunities to be more creative and to pursue those passions and to explore some interests that they may not have otherwise been exposed to, especially in this typical educational system. Um, I wanted kids to be able to be creative again and to um, really understand and have the opportunity to still believe that they could be whatever they wanted to be right? When they grow up to have somebody who was going to be that champion for them. And that someone in that school setting that was going to give them the language, give them the self, that self-efficacy 
that they could achieve that and become that. And that's really the foundation of my dissertation. Um, and it was a program evaluation on a social emotional learning program. Um, but what I really got to dive into was what does, what is that purpose of social emotional learning programs? You know, why are they so important for our students and for a school site um, and how they can really help us as educators create those conditions so that kids are, are met um, and given those supports that they need and the foundation first so that then they can stop worrying about some of those other things that are going on in their life. They can have that connection. They can have that relationship. They can have the supports that they need, whether they need additional counseling, you know, those, that Maslow's hierarchy is, is met so that then we can really get down to that important academic work as well. Um, and we know that we know that students who are in schools with social emotional learning programs that are going well, that are being implemented with fidelity. I mean, academic scores rise at 11% is what the research tells us. And so it's something that I really believe in. It's something that kind of stemmed off of his work about just getting back to those individual kids and hearing them and getting to know them and um, seeing where that takes us. So I really like uh, the story that you were sharing earlier about something that you started at your school site called the Innovation Lab, um, which was a monthly activity where you connected students with teachers very often outside of their classrooms, like outside of their uh, sort of regular everyday classroom and even in a lot of cases outside of their grade level. Um, so you got teachers mixing with students, not by uh, grade level or class assignment, but by the match between uh, personal passions of the teacher and personal passions of the students, which is such an interesting idea. And I think really connected to this like concept of uh, honoring, you know, what the students are, are all about. Can you talk more about how you came up with that idea and why you felt compelled to, to start it? Absolutely. It was probably one of my favorite things when I was um, the principal at that school site. And we would get so excited when that Friday of the month came around um, because there was just a buzz around campus, right? Like between kids, between between teachers. I mean, I think teachers prepped as much, if not more, for, for those days to make them enjoyable for kids than, you know, I mean, obviously they did prep for their academics as well, but you could just tell that people were so excited. And that really came about just, again, wanting to create a school where students felt connected and engaged because ultimately that's going to make them excited about being at school in the first place and um, make them hopefully want to come to school and feel that connection. And we know those student-teacher relationships is one of the highest indicators of student success. And um, I think it was just something that when I started to think about where our school was in that moment, we needed something else to be excited about that wasn't just those that academics. And we, we really needed to get back again to making connections with kids so that kids felt safe at school, they felt connected at school, and that they wanted to be there. And it was a fun and exciting way that also allowed my teachers to feel connected at school too, right? Um, so yeah, we we started by asking teachers some, I gave, had them give us some ideas on what they were excited about and passionate about, things like cooking, 
Um, that was a really fun one. Fashion. So teachers got to go beyond and be beyond just a, a teacher during that time, you know, and, um, music, we had, we had, um, bucket drumming, we had guitar, we had family games, which was a really fun one. A lot of our kiddos, it was a title in school, you know, didn't have a lot of family games at home or weren't exposed to them. And I think kind of what we found was, is our school went from being these individual classroom communities to being a larger, just school-wide community. It really took down those and opened those doors and allowed kids, maybe they, they weren't really connecting with their own teacher, right? But they got to form a connection with another teacher on campus. Um, maybe they, they were a student that did have some, some different needs or struggled a little bit at times with behavior. Well, now we have another positive relationship with an adult that if in times of need, they can go hang out with. So it really kind of provided a lot of different opportunities for us to build off of as a school site beyond just having a fun hour once a month right? With kids where they got to try different things. Um, it, it opened the door to providing our students who are English learners more language development time. You know, it provided our students with disabilities inclusion time. You know, we had moderate to severe, um, a moderate to severe special day class program on our campus. And those kids got to pick where they wanted to go and they were included with their typical peers. And, um, you know, it was just another opportunity for our community to embrace students with different types of abilities. And um, I think it was just incredible to see how relationships formed, even up older students with younger students, how teachers developed those relationships and how um, it just, it became more than just innovation lab. It became just part of the school culture overall. Aaron, I, 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 I really like what you're talking about. And just in your conversation in general, uh, there's a way that you adapt so many different skills to build the social communication among your students. And um, I like when you talk about getting away from the deficit model, uh, uh, changing mindsets, the important things that are really important to building and changing culture within a school site, you know, bringing your parents and bringing your community aboard so that you're all focusing on uh, what can benefit students overall. So uh, those are really, really important things. But just that innovation uh, lab that you mentioned, I'm visualizing, I don't know if you were too, Ryan, but I'm visualizing um, so much more than just, like you mentioned, just a fun activity, but there's learning that is embedded within that, particularly the, the mentoring component, the, the social interaction, that is the most powerful thing that kids need to be able to utilize those skills. And you've taken something that on paper looks like it's one thing and created a whole different component regarding it. So it sounds good. Yeah. I really love the idea too. And, uh, I keep on thinking about what it must have been like also for the teachers. Uh, you know, most of the teachers that I talk to, I think a lot about, uh, education educators as as creative people and most of the teachers that I talk to pretty widely agree that that's that's it is a creative job um but I think outside of education we don't always talk about it like that and uh and I'm curious about what the what you saw the experience was like for the teachers participating in this to be able to to bring something that they truly care about to the classroom and have it be honored um and held at the same level of importance as uh, there are other job duties. Yes, that's that's an interesting um, point. And so I want to go back to kind of this idea of getting to know every student individually. 
And I believe what is important to do with our students is important to do with our staffs. Mm. Right. And so we spent a lot of time as a staff getting to know each other. And we spent a lot of time going through some of those processes that I hoped they would in turn go and go through with their students. And so it was important to something as me as a, to me as a leader to see each of my staff members for who they were, for their passions, for things that they were interested in beyond just being a teacher and for them to see each other as that as well and to hear each other's stories. So we did, we spent some time um, after we had developed relationships and built some trust telling each other our stories and it was deep. There were tears, um, but what that did was it allowed us to continue to move forward um, to understand each other better, um, to support each other in a different way that allowed us to come back and know that every single person on our staff was there for kids and for what was best for kids. I think that they were just able to see each other in a different way, able to have honest conversations with each other in a different way, because we did exactly what we were asking them to do in their classrooms. We built a community. We built a community teacher to teacher. And um, as we moved into that innovation lab type of uh, experience, and I got to see those things that they were really passionate about as well, um, you know, it, it was exciting for them to be able to share that with their kids because I'm just thinking about like, even one of my teachers now, she's actually since then, and I don't think this is why, but she actually, she taught cooking and now she actually runs like a side business where she sells teas and things. Right. So she's like, and I don't think that that's the complete reason why, but it's just fun to see how those passions really extended beyond just the everyday classroom experiences for kids. You know, our teacher that taught bucket drumming, she got to share with students how she would go with her husband and play music in the park and how, even though you, she was a teacher, she could still be passionate about music. So you can have one career and still have that passion on the side and pursue it as well. And so I think it, it just opened the door for, for teachers to also feel like they could be more themselves, um, not just with each other, but with their students. At least that's what I hope it did. It sounds like it. I mean, I, I, I love that. I think it's a great segue into the next part of our conversation, which is going from uh, your experience as a site leader um, now uh, joining our team to work on systems level change, focusing on equity. Um, and with that comes a change in audience where in at the site level, uh, your audience was students, families, and staff um, at uh, here at EDD, um, we are mostly developing products um, that support the people who support uh, students and families. And so, um, special education directors and uh, and um, you know leadership in, in various departments. I want to read a quote from the dedication of your uh, of your dissertation, uh, and that quote is: "Every student who walks through the doors at any school deserves to be known for who they are, their strengths, fears, passions, and dreams." And there's one word in particular here that really sticks out to me: 
which is uh, your use of the word fears there, which is, uh, you know, on the same level as uh, things that we normally hear um, that we should be honoring in other people's strengths, passions, and dreams. Um, yesterday, we were, uh, the three of us were doing some writing together, and we were cracking up at uh, the first versions of the uh, uh, of of our writing because anybody who does creative work knows that the first version of anything is is necessarily uh, pretty terrible. That's how you. That's the very first step to get to you know a really good shiny final product. And uh, it just struck me how much comfort with fear the three of us need to have when we uh, you know when we write stuff like that because we have to look at work that is necessary but also just not very good at first that's just the way it is so uh, now you've got this new audience how does what you have learned about honoring everything about students and also about staff how does how do you see that applying to your work leading the uh, instructional school-wide intervention part of EDD I hope that what I'm able to bring to those that I support is just, I guess that, that support in the sense of like, I know it's going to be tough. Right. And that we're going to, it's going to be messy, but that it is absolutely worth it. And when I think about, it's funny because of thinking, kind of going back and thinking about these things and talking through some of these things that I did at my school site, it really does resonate with some of the learning that I'm doing. And I'm going to hopefully be supporting schools with around like universal design for learning and things like that, where we are really getting to providing that universal thinking around how we're presenting content and curriculum to students, right? So that students can access it um, in a variety of different ways, and then show us their learning in a variety of different ways. And so I think that that's messy work. Um, it's hard work because it's shift in mindset work, right? And so as I think about um, what I can bring to the table, I know that what I did at my school site was unique. Every school site's unique and every leader's relationship with their staff is unique. And so I hope to just support leaders in in thinking through and creating some content that they can turn around and and use to make that type of change and to have those types of conversations with their own staff and to also feel okay like you said it's it's scary to go back to your staff and to want to try something new um, it is scary because sometimes it's going you're going to fail but when we think about failure, what we learn from that failure and how we turn around and apply it, that's really where the magic happens, right? Like, um, and I failed a lot and I even thinking about it, I think there are things that I wish I did differently every day. Um, but, and especially as a site leader, there are things that I look back on and even thinking about and talking through some of these examples, there's things I, that I wish I did differently. Um, at the end of the day, though, we're all showing up and doing our very best for kids. And that means also having tough conversations with our staff about change that needs to happen. And so um, I hope that when I look at and the role that I have now, that I can do just that to be somebody who is a champion for leaders who are trying to make this change in their own school sites or in their own districts. And to be somebody who can share some experiences if they want to, sh- if they want those experiences shared, 
but to listen and to understand those, the context of what they're living in and their, their current circumstances are and to help, um, work with them on how to make changes based on what they're actually facing each day themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it totally makes sense. You know, I think, uh, I think about, um, what we model to students that, uh, that we don't really know that we are modeling to them, you know, cause we're always modeling something right. And however way we are in front of them, they are, they are forming their, uh, in their imagination, what it is like to be, uh, an adult. And, uh, you know, and in the case of educators, uh, an adult with a career and, you know, all the ways that we manage stress and creativity and all those things they're they're taking all of that in, right. Which is at once a scary thought to me, but also empowering in the sense that if we are intentional about that, um, you know, we can really bring the best of ourselves to, you know, to that, uh, uh, formation of that image for them, at least play, you know, hopefully play some positive, uh, part in that. One of the things that I keep on thinking about is something that, that you mentioned, which is, um, the role of failure and mistakes, uh, in, uh, in the way that we work. I think on our team, we have a big focus on design thinking and creativity. And, and, and frankly, uh, without those kinds of mistakes and, and trial and error, we just like, it's a necessary part of our process. And so I think to the extent that we can normalize that for other leaders in education, I feel like that's a big, you know, that's not in the grant. It's not written in there as a mission, but uh, but I think it's a big part of how we show up for people is to be able to include them in the process and 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 let them see how things develop and grow and how we test things. Um, and so I'm really excited to see how you take that passion for uh, including all the parts of the learning process, including the messy parts, and apply that to um, how we support. Uh, educators who who are in classrooms because uh, I don't know it just kind of it makes me feel good to be part of a crew that is honest and showing up authentically about the parts of a creative process that don't always feel comfortable um, and so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how that how that develops for us as a team I just wanted to say that fact that as a leader you're able to show vulnerability. And understand that it's okay to make a mistake. It actually empowers your staff. It actually empowers students. It humanizes um, both both components, not components, but both groups, students or or staff members. And to me, I think that leads to even um, better team collaboration. When you, when you're trying to move a, a school, the fact that you're able to make a mistake and know that you, um, in order to succeed, you can't have that. In order to succeed, you can't have the fear of failing. But that ties into what you were saying, uh, uh, Aaron, is that, you know, if your staff knows that you have, you know, well, just in general, if a person knows that they've persevered to so, through so many different situations, to me, that's like an empowerment piece. And how you explain it to your staff and your students can empower them. Okay. You brought, you bring up something interesting, Marcus. And I think that something that I found and I hope made a really huge impact on my staff feeling that empowerment was that there was a point that I really felt like they were the, those that 
there was a point when it shifted from just like we would see in a classroom, right? With instruction from me being the deliverer of professional learning or the deliverer of this new instructional strategy or idea to collectively us learning together and making those decisions, instructional decisions together and me really and truly turning it over to them. And they became my professional development givers, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think really where that empowerment comes when, when we as leaders, like you said, we're just, we, we can like sit back and see and like, just the other incredible leaders that you have on your campus. Mm -hmm. And that empowers our staff to also not to be afraid to get up and and make mistakes Mm -hmm. to it really builds. And what I saw it really build was that collective teacher efficacy, right? Like they truly believe that together they were going to do awesome things for kids and that they weren't afraid to try new things. They weren't afraid to get up in front of, I mean, these are teachers that would like before had, would keep their doors closed and they were afraid to have their colleagues watch them teach. Mm-hmm. And now they're standing up in front of each other, giving the PD for the week. They're observing in each other's classrooms and giving each other feedback. They are deciding with me and as a team, based on our data, where we need to go next and what types of strategies we're interested in trying out and trying on, like, gosh, there's nothing more powerful than that in, in a school. And I think that's when it, you see just incredible change and incredible success in students, not just academically, because we saw that. We saw that. But in who our kids were as well, because they got to experience that, right? Turning turning the learning and the leading over. And they in turn started doing that in their classrooms. And their students became more empowered. Their students developed that self-efficacy. Their students were giving each other feedback and teaching lessons to each other. And I mean, it was just amazing. And I think that it's all, it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. How we interact with our staff is a model for how our staff are going to interact with our students. I love that. It's a weird kind of a paradox uh, where the, the uh, positive outcome for the students, which is the development of vulnerability and the willingness to share and help each other learn and try new things, even if that means sometimes that uh, you fall, teaching that to students in some way comes from learning how to do that on your own. It's kind of a thing that you have to sort of conquer within yourself. And and I just think that that's a really interesting paradox that one of the best ways that you can teach a student or a fellow staff member to be more like that is, is, is simply to master that within yourself. And then, and then you just become this living embodiment of this living example of bravery and vulnerability and creativity and compassion and and those things that's a that's a really interesting uh idea i am really excited aaron by all of just because uh, i know the listeners can't see this but like marcus and olivia and adrian and i get to see and hear about all the the early ideas of the things that you're developing and i know that it's not an, an advanced enough stage yet that we can sort of announce them here but uh 
but I, I, I just want to say clearly, I am very excited to see where this goes, uh, and, uh, feel proud that I get to watch and, and see it happen. Um, we are at the end of our time and I, I would like to propose ending in the traditional ED and D podcast way. And that is to bring all of our deep talk to a comically absurd casual, uh, level and talk about just because we've got a, uh, a statewide audience here. Not everybody is from, from San Diego. Uh, you, uh, live in the Imperial beach area. And if I were an out of towner and, uh, I wanted to know, a good spot to eat, where would you recommend that I go? Ooh, in IB? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I don't want out-of-towners to come to my little tiny beach town. <laughs> okay, I want to eat in See? IB, and I want to eat somewhere outside of IB. Wait, she, she didn't, I, I sent you a message on, on Teams, and I was thinking about that. Did you want IB or uh, Tula Vista or just San Diego in general? No, I, I think... There's so many cute little places in IB. Um, and I think, I mean, a fun spot um, that we love is Hess Brewing. I mean, it's got the outdoor patio, great city tacos. There's Felipe's. I mean, I could tell you all sorts of places. The The Thai place in IB, IB Aroma Thai is just one of, one of my favorites. A little hole in the wall. Love it. So I don't know. Just hit the strip in IB and you'll see all sorts of restaurants. Yeah, I'll have to do that. I uh, I haven't spent a ton of time in there. I when I was uh, a coordinator, I used to you know I would go visit schools and stuff like that. But um, but hadn't had a chance to explore like the the Thai food. I didn't even know there was a Thai food place there. So yeah, I'm, I, w- I would definitely check that out. Delicious. Cool. Okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of our time. If you want to get in touch with Dr. Aaron Mahoney or anybody else on the ED&D team, you can reach us on our website, equityandesign.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter and get free resources and also uh, get updates about training opportunities we have. One of the ones that we're really excited about is the training series um, from the National Center for Urban School Transformation. We just had our first session um, uh, yesterday, and that went really, really well. We've got a few more sessions lined up, so it's not too late to sign up. You can do that on our website. Uh, you can also reach us on social media on Instagram and Twitter, E underscore D underscore and underscore D. Aaron, thank you so much for being our guest, and I am so excited to see uh, what you do here and uh, and how you, you bring us along to learn everything that you uh, that you, you bring to our team. So thank you. Thank you, Aaron. I'm Glad excited. To have you. Glad to have you as part of the team here. Okay, everybody. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the episode. We want to thank the California Department of Education and the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence for awarding the SELPA content lead grants to us and our project partners. The ED&D podcast is funded through something called the Content Lead Grant that empowers us to share this kind of work with educators and with a broad audience across the state of California. And thank you to you, our listeners, for sharing this conversation with us. Join us on our next episode where we continue the journey of interviewing professionals who possess a passion for building equitable educational services for all students. See you next time.